what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, so also we should love one another. Hey guys, welcome to Called by Love. I'm Travis. And as always, I'm Nick. He is still Nick. And we have (laughs) episode 12. It has been a while. We are going through this life thing. Uh, Different changes, children, and COVID, and whatever work. And we are here for episode 12. And the topic is the everlasting covenant. Last time we left off with Abraham. And we are going to go right back to Abraham. He's a huge character in the Bible story. And what is the everlasting covenant is, is one of our big questions. What are the old and new covenants? Is the new covenant the same as the everlasting covenant? What is the purpose of the old covenant? How does Abraham relate to these covenants? So, Nick, let's have we a word of prayer. Definitely need to pray. Uh, Father God, these are big subjects. Um, they span throughout the course of the Bible. They make everything in come into picture with you. Um, we appreciate and call for and request uh, your Holy Spirit uh, for each of our listeners as well as ourselves as we go through this topic. Uh, we love you. Amen. Amen. All right. So this everlasting covenant, the new covenant, these are themes that really can outline how we are saved. It's the mechanism you can find the covenant, technically, in the Ark of the Covenant, so it is related to the sanctuary. Um, so the Ark of the Covenant is that box that is made special by the covenant inside of it. Um, as you may understand, if you've ever looked at a picture of the Ark of the Covenant, is that there is a lid on top and angels on the sides and God's, it was called the Shekinah glory. It's God's presence, uh, literally the one in heaven, that sits between the two angels. And underneath the lid is the contents of the box, which would be the Ark of the Covenant uh, inside, uh, technically is what it's, what it's called, uh, with the mercy seat on top. That's the lid. And the Ten Commandments are inside, as well as... Uh, Aaron's rod and a bowl of manna. But today's we're looking at the Ten Commandments uh, as well as how the covenant is related to humanity. So we have an old covenant and a new covenant. The old covenant is not older than the new covenant. It is just called the Old Covenant because the sacrifice, we will get into this shortly, but the sacrifice was actually before the sacrifice of the New Covenant. So the Old Covenant was with the Israelites, the people that God pulled out of Egypt and to show who he was, his character throughout time. Uh, and that that is a picture for the new covenant. Um, so let's let's just take a look actually at a verse that many people will be familiar with, Ephesians two 
8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That is new covenant language. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. That is the old covenant. So that no one may boast. Okay, so I'm going to summarize, hopefully clearly, the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So the Old Covenant was given at Sinai, and it was with the blood of bulls and goats. It was not one of forgiveness, as we'll see. Uh, there was actually no forgiveness just because of you sacrificed a bull or a goat, but it was all to point forward to the New Covenant, which is by faith, the new covenant is all the things that Jesus does. So if you understood the sanctuary, which we will get into probably in a later episode, the sanctuary is a pathway which to understand salvation. And so Jesus actually went through and goes through in the heavenly sanctuary, each of the articles of furniture and does a different ministration. Okay, Travis, that's a lot. That is a lot, and and you're walking us through. We're ta- we're bringing up the word covenant. Covenant essentially comes down to promise, but it's deeper than that. I mean, this is this is reality itself. This is our God agreeing, promising humanity something. And when we speak of old covenant and new covenant, what we're largely fleshing out here is exactly what he said in that verse prior: saved through faith or saved through works. What we now know what we now believe, what we now believe the Bible reveals to us is being saved through works was always going to fail. The old covenant was never an end all. It was to only to connect you to the new covenant and being under new covenant uh, also does not necessarily do away with the idea that we should do good works. It's it, there, there's, there's different language in here that will continue to flesh out. Uh, Nick's going to take control of a lot of this. He's, he's, he's really uh, outlined it here really well. But one of the biggest things that we're going to see is that God is revealing himself through these covenants. And he's revealing largely our inadequacy, not in a cruel way, but in a realistic way that we need him. And what we do is not going to be salvationally important in the end. We we can't save ourselves. We need Jesus. Okay, so first of all, I want to just outline in a quick summary, uh, six verses, seven verses here in Deuteronomy 5, 22 through 29. Um, It's it's actually God spoke the Ten Commandments here in Deuteronomy 5, and this is the people's response, okay? So uh, the Ten Commandments are all the rules that we need to please God. Romans 7, it, it actually says the law is holy, just, and true, which means that the Ten Commandments are actually good. It's just our relation to them as sinners puts us into a place where the wages of sin, breaking the Ten Commandments, is death. So we have a problem here. Um, Deuteronomy 5.22 says, These words the Lord spoke to the whole assembly, again, the Ten Commandments, at the mountain from the midst of the fire, from the cloud, from the di- thick darkness, with a great voice, and he ha- added nothing more. He wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me, 
And when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you approached me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. And we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen God today that he speaks with us, yet we live. Now then, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer. Then we will die. For who is there of humanity who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? You go near and listen to everything that the Lord our God says and speak it to us, all that he has said, and we will listen and do it. Now the Lord heard the sound of your words, and when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the sound of the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They have done well in all that they have spoken. If only they had such a heart in them to fear me and keep all my commandments always, so that it would go well with you and your sons forever. Okay, so summary of this paragraph is that they are the the people of israel are scared of god's presence because they are sinners and they believe that they are going to die and moses they are asking moses to be an intercessor again god says this is good uh and then he says that there is one problem he, he says everything is good except if they only had such a heart, because they have promised to, to do the Ten Commandments. But they, the, the problem that they have is that they do not have that good heart in them. Okay, so we see one problem and one problem only. It's not their intent. Their intent is good. They understand they need a, an intercessor, which... Moses is a type of Jesus. We see that. Um, and then we happen to understand that our hearts are problematic. Um, Travis, Jeremiah 17, 9. Jeremiah 17, 9. You want me to add that to the lineup here? Yeah, let's do that. So right at the top here is uh, Jeremiah. The heart there. is deceitful above all things. Yes, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Okay. This, so this heart, is our disposition. Yes, the heart is beyond cure. It's, it's deceitful beyond even what the devil is able to do. So if you think you're okay, you're not. Who can understand it? That means... You don't understand it. God is telling us that we don't understand how wicked we are. Our full depravity. Exactly. And only by seeing Jesus and comparing ourselves to Jesus do we get the picture of what we are supposed to be and how miserably awful we are failing him. Okay? So Isaiah is a prophet he is a priest. He is a man of God. 
he is in the temple in Isaiah 6, verse 5, it says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So he's been, he's actually been in ministry for 15 years, and he doesn't even understand how wretched he is until he sees God. So when we see God, that is the thing that will convert us. It, it reveals to us, yeah, it, it, just the same as before evil existed, we didn't know just how good God was. Uh, before we encounter just how good God is, we don't know just how evil we are. Uh, a lot of people want to go through life and feel like, well, I'm, I'm a mostly good person. And they feel some sort of a comfort with that. But being thrust into this Bible story and, and having the truth of our disposition kind of thrown at us, we are so helpless. We are so wicked. We are so much more evil than the standard of Christ, the standard of God, that we so badly need a new covenant for the old covenant. When he reveals it, you know, it, the, the Ten Commandments in and of themselves, they're they're fleshed out only because of evil having existed. To, to say, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife, in heavenly terms, they'd be like, what are you talking about? There, there, there's, we, we, we'd sunk so low below the standard of what it is to do right. All these different ways we were going wrong as humanity, God outlines 10 major ways for us to do better, for us to obey his law. That at the heart of it is to be loving and good, to operate in a way that would be befitting of the kingdom of god and even then the standard continues to grow this is 10 things and when god gives you a summary when jesus gives you a summary it's it all boils down to love loving others and when we see in a, a, a verse uh we, we we talk about um god revealing to us if we if we listen to god and his voice uh, in Exodus twenty three twenty one, maybe not fully the intention. Be attentive to him and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious towards him, for he will not pardon your rebellion, since my name is in him. But when we see this, be attentive to him and obey his voice, that really is the standard right in there, kind of very much summed up. Being mindful of God, loving God, and obeying his voice, asking his voice to come into us, and then learning to obey that voice. It takes you from the Ten Commandments and you go beyond and you start to understand this way of acting is very much different than just these ten things on tablet of stone. Right. So this Ten Commandments are essentially like the dumbed down version of loving God for dummies, right? Loving uh, so, God and loving others. Right. So we have the ultimately we can look at the Ten Commandments and say, I'm not a murderer. I don't steal. I don't cheat. And that's keeping the letter of the law. That's what the Old Covenant is about. I am doing, I am good enough. I am okay. I'm not that bad. Like, and I repent sure. when I do slip up here and there and I do my temple thing, my temple sacrifices and such, and I make sure that I am, I'm good. I'm, I'm good right. with God because of how I'm following these rules 
and how I repent and do the this this uh, temple sacrifices with the sanctuary. Right, and then the the whole idea is we look at a, a Pharisee um, in in Mark. Actually, there is a parable or a, or a little story about two people who went to the temple to pray. One man a Pharisee and the other publican. The Pharisee stands up and prays and he says, I thank God that I am not like this man who is a sinner. And the publican does not lift up his voice, does not lift up his head, but beats his chest and says, I am a sinner, forgive me. And Jesus replied and said, who do you think was justified or forgiven? Well, it's the one who asked for forgiveness, of course. So <laughs> when we are in the old covenant, we think we're okay. We do not ask for forgiveness. It's essentially saying, I'm okay. I'm like the devil when I am being proud of myself, when I am being self-reliant. And so ultimately, the old covenant is self-reliance. So anybody who is unconverted is essentially in the old covenant, if you will. The old covenant was always doomed to fail. It is because it, it that being, verse that you just read says that there was no forgiveness in it. Here, let me let's find that again. It says, "Be attentive to him." Exodus twenty three twenty one, and obey his voice, and do not be rebellious towards him, for he will not pardon your rebellion. There is no forgiveness in the old covenant, and again, it it, it actually says in in Hebrews that. The blood of bulls and goats um, is not able to to cleanse anything, not able to forgive anything. It, it doesn't change. You need this symbol to be fulfilled in reality by Jesus. Okay, well, so yeah, if what, we were go ahead. Well, it's very much like ritualistic religion of the day was. A lot of religions had this idea of sacrifice and giving, uh, giving a, a sacrifice to their god, but there it stopped there. It didn't point towards anything. There was no real intention about your sin. It was more just an offering because of how great it is. You're going to give something up that's valuable to that deity, and this appease the gods. Exactly. And God gets no appeasement, exactly what Hebrews 9.13 says there, from the blood of animals. If anything, he hates death. He hates yep. animals being slaughtered. He's, he's not a fan of this death thing. He knows the sparrows that fall. He's very attentive to suffering, even of the animals. And he goes through and allows this practice because of how it points to what Jesus did and how holy and beautiful that is. Right. So we, we jump to Peter's conviction, right? So think about it. Peter is told by Jesus that he is not yet converted when Jesus is about to die. He says, when you were converted, strengthen your brethren. So Peter is not converted, even though he's been walking with Jesus for three and a half years. He's one of the closest disciples. And Peter's like, I'm going to die with you. Like if everyone else denies you, I'm going to, I'm going to stand by your side. And he, he really means it. You know, when, the, when Malchus comes and the, the mob comes and Judas comes to betray him, Peter's right up front. He's about to try to take off this guy's head. And he's 
not a fighter, so he misses <laughs> badly and and gets his ear. But he's ready to go. He's he's going to the death here. And then you see when Jesus is being betrayed into the hands of his enemies and when he is not fighting back peter has a problem peter because now peter he's has been no, embarrassed and peter has no backup here i think peter might have thought that this powerful god is on my side and and no harm's going to come to him and he felt empowered and he's going to take on this whole force and then Jesus goes willingly, heals the dude's ear that he just uh, removed from his head. And, and he goes willingly into captivity and all the disciples are thrown for a loop. And Peter, just as much as the rest of them, who has just been empowered by thinking he's fighting for the being that's going to be his backup secret weapon. And now he's frightened and he's frightened to the point of, complete role reversal of i'm so strong oh no i'm not not when god's not what i was expecting right and now somebody asks him hey aren't you one of the disciples and he goes no i'm not and somebody else asks him aren't you one of the disciples i saw you you were with him and he goes no that wasn't me and and one more time he says, "Were you? No, surely you are, because your accent gives you away." And he starts cursing, yeah. clearly to prove I'm not part of this crew, right? Right, because they had pure language, and he does not know himself. He did not know that Jesus knew him better than he did. Jesus knew. He said, "You're going to deny me three times," and Peter's like, "Nope, not me, not me." <laughs> But he doesn't understand. He does not understand how wicked and deceitful his heart is and that it is beyond cure. So the problem about humanity is that we have a wicked heart. If you don't want to embrace it, then Christianity is not for you. If you think you're okay, the Christianity of the Bible is going to be incredibly lowly and embarrassing because it is that's what jesus meant when he said take up your cross and follow me he said i am going to be embarrassed i am going to be lowly if you don't like that then heaven's not the place for you because all of heaven is full of beings that love each other so much that they would do this and god god is fully I saw a video representation of this in a movie and Jesus looks at him at the denial. And I'm like, there's no way that's true. And I read through that is exactly what happens. It says that Jesus and and Peter's eyes met. What a horrible moment to be such a coward, but also Jesus knew full well, this was coming. Loves him, loves him full on. He's not, you know, you, you fast forward and, and clearly uh, Peter is, is loved by Jesus, but this was a necessary moment in time for Peter to come to grips with the fact that he is not the honcho that he thought he was, especially not when Jesus wasn't going to behave in the way he expected. Right. And so Paul also takes this up and he 
delivers a, another death blow to us if we were trying to be proud and adequate. And In the Romans, Romans 7, yeah, go ahead. 7, 24 through 25, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Right. So wretched man that I am, he is admitting that he is never okay. Not in any sense of the word. Now, we see who is going to deliver. There is no other way out except through Jesus Christ. And it says, I serve the law of God with my mind. That means I have been reserved and I have been changed in my mind. But yet I do not comply with all the things that God has asked me to yet because my nature is sinful. I am still human. And that human is the same line of Adam, which is fallen, which chose to rebel against God and will continue to be rebelled against God if I am not changed every single day into God's likeness. Because essentially what what is happening in the Christian life is we make a decision for God. And every day we are forgiven, we're cleansed if we ask for it. But we are still human, that nature. And until we die... That is with us. So the only way to defeat that in any form is to have Jesus fight for us. And so that is why Paul says that I die to self daily. It is a fight against self, against selfishness. And that is why we cannot overcome is because we are still alive. That sinful heart is the root of all of our problems and it has to be essentially deleted and that's why the wages of sin is death because jesus can't work with us and he says i'm going to give you a new heart born again i'm going that's right that's the whole point of christianity and it, it fits into such a law fitting manner uh, the whole Bible is written as like a judgment scene. Um, realistically, it's it's a court of law. Um, so we've talked about the old covenant and we've flirted around uh, with what the new covenant is. Uh, but essentially, let's 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 go down and and figure out what the new covenant is, right? So Jeremiah. 31, 31 through 34 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the old covenant, which I made with their fathers. On the day that I took them out of the, by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, which they broke. Again, this is the problem. They broke it because they couldn't keep it. Although I was a husband to, to them, declares the Lord, for this is my covenant, which I will make with the house of Israel after these days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within their them and write it on their heart, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each one to his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, 
for they will all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their wrongdoing, and their sin I will remember no more. It it brings up that comparison God, Jesus, often liked to make with our with our relationship as God's people with him as a husband and wife relationship. And with regards to this covenant with this promise, it's we're breaking this promise with God in the old covenant. We are unfaithful. There, there, there's a story, I believe, Hosea, where uh, an unfaithful wife, she's a prostitute to, 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 in, in the town, and God says, take her as your wife. And, and clearly, they, I mean, they have kids, and each kid is named in such a way that it clearly tells you that God is asking this prophet to take this harlot as his wife because he knows she will go astray. He knows she will cheat on him. He knows she will be unfaithful. And it is a perfect mirror of how we are in our relationship with God. And God, full well knowing, says, I know that you are not going to keep this old covenant. You're going to break it. Even though I'm your husband, you are going to break it. So I'm making this new covenant, new covenant, much better. Everybody had to be under the new covenant to be saved. But th- this husband and wife situation, I mean, it's, it's, it, it is a beautiful... We, even if people don't know much about God, even if people don't know much about Christianity as a whole, a lot of people know what a good marriage looks like. And a good marriage generally looks like a husband being kind and caring and attentive and spending time with and learning about and wanting to serve his wife and vice versa. And we in the old covenant were not faithful. Exactly. And this is why God says, I will put my law within them and write it on their heart, right? He's giving us a new heart so that we can keep it. And that's the whole point. He's, he's doing both sides. He's promised to be faithful in the God side. And when we invite him into our hearts in the human side, he is also fulfilling the other side of the covenant. And we'll, we'll see that in um, the story about Abraham a little bit further along. But I want you to notice one thing. In Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, it says, Moreover, I will give them a new heart and a new spirit within you, and I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and I will bring it about that as you walk in my statues, and you are careful to follow my ordinances. It, he's taking away this rudimentary law-based system that is holding you in a supposed safe condition for your salvation by simply following rules. And he's switching it up. This is purely through Jesus, purely through the revelation of God's character on earth through Jesus saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And now you are being called to follow these rules innately by taking in his loving character. And you are now able to, with his loving character abiding in you, listen to his voice and figure out how you're going to follow so, so you're going to be following God out of love rather out of duty. And, you know, there's a beautiful story 
talking about old and co- old and new covenant, and it, and it goes something like this. The Bible has a story that really closely mirrors it, and it talks about a woman who gets married to a man, as many women do, and 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 they she looks forward to her wedding day with this man. He looks great. She can't wait to be with this man. And the morning of the wedding, uh, the morning after the wedding, she wakes up. He's there at the foot of the bed. Ah, she loves this guy. He's an incredible man. And he has a long list of papers in his hand. She's like, what's going on? I don't really know. Stares into his eyes lovingly. And he says, oh, my wife, you're so wonderful. And he says, here's a list of things I want you to do. And he proceeds to say, at 8.01, you will wake up. At 8.03, you will go warm up my coffee. At 8.04, you will place my slippers by the door. At 8.05, you'll give me a good morning kiss. And this continues right until 9, until 10, until 11. He's out the door to his job. And she's already seen all these different rudimentary rules to follow throughout the day. And he's like, oh, because you love me, wife. This is what you're going to do for me. And she's horrified. And he goes through the list. And then he says, and when I come home, you'll have dinner ready at the table. You'll kiss me. You'll tell me I look very handsome. You'll rub my shoulders. You'll rub my feet. All these different things, ways that he feels that she needs to love him. And he outlines this whole list of things. I mean, this marriage goes on for a while. And the man dies. And I know this is terrible, but this woman following these laws following all these things, not getting it quite right, slipping up, feeling tired, feeling exhausted, just doing all these list of demands from her husband. He dies and she almost regrettably feels freed. And another man comes along and she is very reluctant. I'm sure people have had some negative relationships in the past. And when you see another one come along, you say, I don't know if I want this because the last one didn't go so well. But uh, you're, he, he seems a lot like the last guy, but maybe he's better. Maybe this will go better. And sure enough, she, she caves. He's, he courts her well. They get married. Morning of the wedding. After the wedding, she wakes up. Oh, my goodness. He's at the foot of the bed with a long piece of paper. I, I can't. I can't. She leaps off the bed, and she, she runs up to him, and she says, not this time. She rips up the pages and throws them on the ground. The husband looks at her and says, oh, I, I am so sorry. I, I didn't realize you didn't like poetry. And she's like, what, what are you talking about? And she, and she picks up the pages and realizes, he's like, oh, I, I just wrote you some poems over there of relationship. And I just was going to start reading them to you. And she apologized. She just said, I've had, I've had some baggage. I've had a bad relationship in the past. And I am sorry. And, and, and they kind of tape him back together. And he proceeds to read her a beautiful poem. And there's no list of rules for her to be doing. And, and the marriage is going extremely well. Uh, it's it, one month, two months, eight months, 12 months. Now it's been a year. And my goodness, this man has stayed true to who he was during the courtship. And he is the man of her dreams. She's, she's shocked. Her relationship is everything she'd ever hoped for. And one day she's cleaning out the closet. And she looks in the closet. And oh my goodness, she has this box. She opens it up, and there is a list of all the rules that she had been following with her ex-husband. Quickly, she's heading out to the dumpster. And, you know, as maybe some of us do, looking at old things, you know, we're just curious. She starts looking at the pages, and she's like, huh, 
okay, make coffee or okay, uh, you know, prepare dinner or okay, do 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 laundry, say kiss, I I, I love you, go for a walk, and all these different things that she was doing, mandated to do for a previous husband. She realized she was actually doing. She was doing it out of a pure display and a pure emotion of love towards her husband. And, and it had nothing to do uh, at all with duty. It had nothing to do at all with her having to do these things. She was doing them purely, purely out of love, purely out of this is the way I want to love my husband. But no longer was it forced. No longer was it something she had to do. Now it was something she was wanting to do willingly. And that's a, just a good story correlates with some parts of the Bible and it shows you this old and new covenant. The reason why it fails, that it's purely rules-based. God has not been fully revealed. That's the whole pur purpose of him throwing himself out there to Moses, throwing himself out there to Abraham. He, he's throwing himself out there saying, this is who I am. And he's trying to reveal his character. And Jesus is the culmination. It is the exclamation point of his character. And when we encounter God's character and Jesus is a perfect reflection of the father and the father reflects perfectly onto Jesus in this character. When we encounter that and we learn to love God, we want to follow him out of love for him. And when he's, when, when, when he's with us, when he's living inside of us in our temple, so to speak, we want to obey his voice out of love, not out of duty, not out of fear of death. Sure. Those are motivators, but the greatest motivator will always be, our marriage to our groom as his bride, as a church, as a people, and following him out of love rather than out of duty. Exactly. Deuteronomy <laughs> four thirteen. Deuteronomy four thirteen says, So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. We are trying to get those tablets of stone to not be stone, to not be rules, to be relationship. And that is exactly what God has promised. He says, yeah, the rules, the rules are the rules. I mean, that's my character. You want to look like me? Keep the rules. I want and you moreover, to look like me. I need you to that, look like me. Right. And moreover, that language, when you talk about do the rules, it's also a promise. It's saying if it you're is. my people... You will do this it, moreover than a you're better do this or you're gonna do right. this. It's like you will do this and it'll be out of love for me. It'll be out of love for others. It'll be the most loving thing. It'll be the thing that rings true to where your conscience doesn't say uh, 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 you're doing something bad here. It will flow and make you happier in life to do these things. Right. And, and even in Matthew, Jesus actually just sums up the Ten Commandments like this. And he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second one is like it. This is the sixth last commandment. Love your neighbor like yourself. That's love. There is no... The rules are still implanted. They're still in place. It is what the judgment is based on. But your relation is completely different when you have God in your heart. 
you are not attempting to please God by keeping it. You are not attempting to be that wife to make the husband happy the first time around. You are simply being loving and doing as he asks. We're learning. Exactly. Exactly. And do we get it right? Of course, we don't get it all right at first, but that's the whole process of God making us look like him. It's called sanctification. It's just the process of God working with us every day in our relationship with other people to help make us look like him so that eventually when people see us, they see him. For anybody who is depending on the old covenant, the most terrifying moment in the Bible arguably is in Matthew seven twenty one through 23. Jesus expresses this sentiment to where he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and you're in your name, cast out demons and in your name, perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness, this dependence on self, this dependence on our works rather than our relationship and our love of our God. Right. The two things that are most clear is that he did not know them. That means they did not know him. Right. He, he definitely knew who they were. Uh, they, they never got to know him. They never had a, had a love for him. Right. So that relationship is missing and they are depending on that works. We did the fun things of prophecy and casting out demons and performing miracles. Okay. So what? You don't know me. I don't know you. You've, you've made a choice. You've made a choice. And that is the bottom line. And so we see, well, we can finally get to Abraham. And how does it relate? Right? We've spent an excellent amount of time in an excellent breakdown of the covenants, old and new. But how does that relate to Abraham? In Genesis 15, we see the story of Abraham. I mean, time passes between these moments where God comes to Abraham. But this is one of the moments. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. He continues in verse 2. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Abram also said, since you have given me no son, one who has been born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars. What a cool moment. Hey, come outside with me. Look towards the heavens. Count the stars. If you are able to count them. And he said to him, and he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. God credited his belief in the Lord as righteousness. We spoke about that last time. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. But he said, Lord God, 
how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer. That's a, that's a cow, I believe. And a, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite each other. But he did not cut the birds. And birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abraham drove them away. So this this would have been a practice that they would have known well in the day. It would have been a, a way to have a promise with somebody, kind of like a pinky swear, you know, cross my heart, hope to die. The idea is that these animals have been, you know, sliced in two, and then you create a pathway as, as, as if to say, let if we break our promise, they're about to make in the coming verses, let us end up like these animals if we break this promise. So now when right. the sun was, yeah, you go. Yeah, so, so one more thing there is that these are all sacrificial animals. These are all the animals that are used in the sanctuary. And as the custom was, when making a treaty or a covenant to people would walk through them generally two kings of, of different nations and they would say this be done to us if we break this covenant so death was the result of breaking the covenant exactly and so it continues in verse 12 now when the sun was going down a deep sleep fell upon abraham abram and behold terror and great darkness fell upon him then god said to abram know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years this is foretelling the time in egypt by the way right here very clearly they might have said ah when is this going to end it literally says they'll be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years but i will judge the nation whom they will serve and afterward they will come out with many possessions this did happen as for you you shall go to your fathers in peace you will be buried in a good old age then in the fourth generation they will return here for the wrongdoing of the amorite is not yet complete now it came about oh you go ahead i want to stop one minute here and i'm going to take a a, a little detour abraham does not inherit the promised land because the wrongdoings of the Amorite is not yet complete. So God gives these other nations a continued chance to still choose him before he destroys them when they come back into the promised land. So God will not, until there is a point of no return, destroy anyone. He he literally, in his mercy and peace, like... He's waiting for the Amorites. We, we, we see the story of the Bible following who it's following, but God is still working everywhere else. God exactly. cares about all these other beings. And yet it, the wrongdoings of the Amorites is not yet complete. They, they, they have not gone beyond redemption at that point. That, that is beautiful. He's saying you got you to gotta wait. They, they still have time. They still have a chance here. Yeah. And, and so amongst all of this, promises to abraham he goes nope um you i'm gonna fulfill this promise but you're still gonna have to wait because i'm still working elsewhere 
you've got us. You've, you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to be patient. We've got 400 years. Your people will grow. I will still love them. I will protect them. There will be bad things they need to learn. You're still my people. I have still promised this to you. Beautiful prophecy showing exactly what's going to happen in Egypt. And they did come out with many possessions that they built their temple with. So in verse 17, now it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark and behold, a smoking oven and a flaming torch appeared, which passed between these pieces, the animals on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your descendants, I have given this land. From the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. This, this is a real moment where the God of the universe is coming down, passing between these pieces. And notice he doesn't ask Abram to pass between here. He, it's, he does it's this very himself. interesting. Right. Right. He, he doesn't go with it with abraham threw it himself so the two were not walking together you know it's it's very evident that god does so he's holding himself to this promise now there is an interesting verse in jeremiah 34 18 and 19 it says i will give the men that have transgressed my covenant which have not performed the words of the covenant which they had taken before me when they cut the calf in two and pass between the parts the princes of judah and the princes of jerusalem and the eunuchs and the priests and all the people of the land which pass between the parts of the calf so this is actually a verse that is talking about the descendants of abraham having passed through these two pieces of the calf now how, how does that make sense because we don't see it in this story but what is likely taking place is, you know, in the next couple of verses, Abraham is, is actually making sure that the, the birds are not going to come and land on the, on the sacrifice animals, the, the ones that are cut in two. Um, so what it is, at least my understanding, is that he has walked through and made his own promise even though he knows that it's not anything compared to God's promise. He's basically saying, I am willing. I want to walk through this. I know that I'm still going to fail, but I want to do it. And God comes through and he walks through it for him. It just rewind back to verse six. Then he believed in the Lord and he being the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. That was his, that was his role. Believing in the Lord. And then the Lord is the one making this incredible promise that is purely it's 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 ritualistic in that it is a way for God to show that I'm coming down. I'm doing what you what you do as God. I'm coming down and showing you I am holding myself to the standard that I should be obliterated if I don't keep my promise. You know, the interesting thing about that is that God goes through it right we we understand that that is jesus so jesus goes through and says if one of us breaks the promise i'm gonna die you are not going to die because if you die your existence is blotted out so 
I'm going to come as a human. And I am going to die in your place. Because God is, as the God portion, Jesus is the God portion, can hold up his end of the covenant. Abraham, as his human portion, could never. But his seed could. And that is why Jesus came. Is to hold up our end of the bargain for us. Because Jesus connects Jesus connects to this exact moment in time. He connects way back to the garden, promising a seed, come and crush the serpent's head. He, he, he connects right here. This is Jesus being foretold. He is the one who is going to keep this promise. He is the evidence that God has kept his promise. And Jesus is going to come out of the line of Abraham. Jesus is going to come out of the line of Abraham. And Abraham's descendants will be. As numerous as the stars, I imagine a heavenly scene someday where we can't count the amount of people who have come off, you could say, who are Father Abraham, who, who would say they are you know, children of Abraham. So in Galatians 4, uh, 24 through 26, uh, Nick, you want to read that for us? Yeah, it says this is speaking allegorically. This is Paul coming back to the two covenants, and this is the story about Abram. Um, this is speaking allegorically. For these women are two covenants, one coming from Mount Sinai, giving birth to the children who are slaves, and she is Hagar. So it says now this is Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And corresponds to our present Jerusalem, not the new Jerusalem, of course. For she is enslaved with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. So it's the story of Hagar and Sarah. Abraham is suggested to take Hagar by Sarah. That is the plan. God has not performed his part of the covenant quickly enough for Sarah. She <laughs> says, I'm well past childbearing age. Well, I will take Hagar's child to be my own. You, you can sort of see maybe a little mental plan here as well. You know, there's often that back and forth. We can't conceive. Is it your goods or my goods that are making us not be able to get pregnant? And you can sort of see her, Sarah's idea. Well, hey, go get her pregnant. If he can't get her pregnant, oh, hey, look. Hey, I mean, this, I mean obviously this is loose and a terrible idea for any of us who are trying to have kids. Hey, go, go with another girl. But, I mean, this was her idea. And you can almost see maybe she's hoping in her heart of hearts that, oh, look, you can't impregnate her either. Like a frustration. This hasn't happened yet. We haven't had this kid that's been promised. And they go through this plan, and sure enough, he does get Hagar pregnant. Right. And so this whole story about Hagar and Abraham and, and Ishmael is like the Old Covenant. They are trying to fulfill the promises of God on their own that's right well most definitely i mean it's sarah sarah's idea and it ends up really badly it it creates a really bad situation and you see uh, so we'll, we'll dive into you got anything to say 
Oh yeah. So essentially we want to complete the, the end here of that. And that is that Sarah of course ends up having a miracle child, which is through faith. God performs a miracle, which is giving us his spirit, placing his spirit within us so that we have a desire to want and to long and to actually be able to follow him, to have that relationship. And so when Abraham is able to have Isaac, this is by faith. This is trusting God because he is... 100 years old, 99 years old, and Sarah is 90 years old. It is impossible. So we look at salvation, and there is a verse that says, how is this then possible, talking about how a rich man can be saved? Because the Jews knew that when you were rich, you were blessed by God. And Jesus says, no, it's not. It's not that way. It's harder for a rich man to get into to heaven. But the whole point that God wanted to bring back is that it is impossible with man. That's the old covenant. But it is possible with God. Yeah, this ends tragically for the men in this story. Uh, at least tragically for a, for a portion of their bodies that had to undergo a, a certain procedure. Uh, you see Gen- Genesis, Genesis 17, 1 through 11, God comes to Abraham, he, Abraham, he's 99 years old, right? an old dude. The Lord appears to Abraham, says to him, I am God almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you be named Abram, but your name shall now be Abraham, as we all know him for the most part. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant, great, great concept there, everlasting covenant, to be the God to you and your descendants and after you. And I will give you and to your descendants after you the land where you live as a stranger, all the land of Canaan. And as an everlasting possession, I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, now, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. This is purely, this is purely consequential of his decision to think that he is going to use his own body part that has a foreskin to make himself a mighty nation and bring about God's promise. And God is saying, nope, that is not the case. And you're actually going to all be wounded on your body part uh, that allows you to conceive. And you are going to get circumcised. And this is going to be a reminder that it is not you who brings 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 the promises of God to fruition. It is the Lord your God. And what a clear reminder uh that will be for them i mean to to bring about this this thing i mean 
people say today, maybe it's a cleaner thing, this and that. It is purely a consequence of him trying to use his own decision-making and, and use his own plan to bring about God's promise. Right. And so we see this was established as part of the old covenant and everybody who's Jewish now, especially during the time of the new church, is this important? Is this something that is to be done with? And of course, you know, Paul and, and, and the new early church say, no, this is not important because that's the laws of Moses. But we look at it, and if we look at it from a spiritual perspective, Romans 2, 25-29 says, For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. Again, like Old Covenant, old times. But if you are a violator of the law, a sinner, your circumcision has turned to you uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, Will his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? He, and he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, again, out of relationship, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law, that's the Israelites, and is circumcised, you are a violator of the law. For he's, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. That means if we love God. And the circumcision is by the heart, by the spirit, and by the letter, and not by the letter. And his praise is not from people, but from God. So what this is all saying is that the circumcision is the heart. What is God trying to circumcise the heart for, Travis? God is trying to remove the the stone. God is trying to remove the reliance on self and of our works on the heart. The idea that, oh, I'm going to be the father of many nations and he's going to give me a child with my wife. Well, hey, that's not working out. Let me go my own way and see if I can make this work out. It's, it's, it's the learning that we have to rely on God and also understand that it's not works-based, it's love-based. It's 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 not us it's god it's it's a it's a complete flipping of the ideas that you know when they were arguing in the new testament with new followers and old followers they're like how important is circumcision and blah, blah, blah. and they were trying to you know they were arguing over works or faith they were arguing over us and what we do over god and what he does and 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 and, and it's and it was really a big big issue at the time and maybe a big issue now in some areas, but it, largely it, it's all to show and point towards us depending on God to fulfill his promises the way he promises he will and not us believing that we're going to do it ourselves. Um, is that about what you wanted? It's exactly. It's, so we're, that is the totality of, of the, the whole covenants. Again, it is to get rid of that old heart that is human and completely selfish. Right. And we don't even know it. Well, you and see for Genesis... God to give us a new one. Yeah, go ahead. You ready? Right. So in Genesis 17, 15 through 21, then God said to Abraham, as for your wife, Sarai, you shall not call her by her name, Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her indeed, and I will give a son by her. 
Then I will bless her, and she shall be the mother of many nations, kings of people. Even though they doubted, even though they had their little spats maybe about not getting pregnant in time, God is blessing them. God is going forward with this plan that he promised would happen. And he says, I will bless her, and she shall be the mother of many nations. King of peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man a hundred years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, give birth to a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you shall name him Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him. I will make him fruitful, multiply him exceedingly. He shall be the father of 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season's next year. So he promises Isaac is coming. And Isaac does come. And Isaac comes. And God says, we're getting rid of this old covenant. We jump to Genesis 21.10, and we are going forward with the way I hadn't have intended. So drive out this slave woman and her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be the heir with my son, Isaac. Isaac is who this is going to happen through. That was my promise. That was my plan. And this other stuff was upon your your what you're going to be doing. And he still blessed Ishmael. He still blessed Hagar. He loved these people, but they were not a they 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 didn't fit they they were not god's plan they were not god's work they were an evidence of abram and sarah taking into their hands fulfilling god's promise so they drive out and isaac becomes this promised son to abram but then we come to one of the most powerful stories in the old testament you know the one thing i don't want to skip over here is the the focus is to drive out the slave woman. It's not because God doesn't love her, of course. It's to show the bigger picture in a spiritual sense that the old covenant, your heart, has to be done away with. Our heart, my heart. I mean, I don't want to make anyone think that I am <laughs> above this. It, each of this of us are in this together. We are all sinners. I will stand and argue with Paul that I am the chief of sinners, even though he wrote it in the Bible. And so each of us must come to that understanding that we have to do away with our, our own selves. Coming, coming to grips with our own sinfulness. So many people walk around thinking, ah, I'm mostly good. They think God rules on a, on a little teeter totter sort of judge sort of weighing station and says, well, you're mostly good. So you get to go right. to heaven. Right. And that's not it at all. It's any sort of evil that is not covered with the blood of Jesus is, and it, it is detestable. It is worthy of death. And we need Jesus as our substitute. And needing Jesus as our substitute brings us to this story, arguably my favorite story in the Old Testament. It so clearly points to Jesus. And it so clearly points to a moment in time where God is showing Abraham exactly who he is and exactly what he's going to do hundreds of years into the future and how he's going to fulfill his promise. Abraham doesn't even know it, but so clear looking back. So Genesis 22, 1 through 18. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, 
take now your son, your only son. This language sounds familiar to Christians. Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moria. That sounds like Lord of the Rings. Anyways, go to the land of Moria and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Wow. What? Oh, wait, wait, wait. What are, what are you saying, God? Like, did I slip up? Did I, did I, did I do something wrong? Like you just promised me this kid falling in love with this kid. You're telling me, yes, go to the mountains and offer him him up. So Abraham got up early. We, we go for it right from verse two to verse three, verse two, go kill your son on this mountain. Verse three, he has decided to do it. So Abraham got up early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took off his young men with him and his son Isaac and he split wood for the burnt offering so they're bringing wood and set out and went to the place which God had told him on the third day Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance a hill then Abraham said to his young men stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and we will worship and return to you they, he, they don't know what's happening. Isaac is not yet sure what's happening. Abraham knows full well. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. He lays the wood on his son Isaac. We see this parallel to Jesus with the cross. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. And, you, you know, we see Jesus walking on the road up to Calvary by himself. God was very much with Jesus on this endeavor. Isaac spoke to his father and Abraham said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, he can't say it yet. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. He, he has still not been able to say, you're who God has asked me to offer up. But he says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. And boy, God did. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the offer there. He arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac, laying him on the altar and on top of the wood. We don't even see the moment where Isaac realizes he is the offer. He is the offering that he is going to be offered up. Yet Isaac is bound and laid on the wood. We don't know the struggle, but it seems as if they are following God, that they are listening to God. You wonder if there is every ounce of their being hoping that God will show up and tell them to stop. But Abraham is fully intending in verse 10 to follow to follow through with what God has asked. And Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, likely very earnestly, here I am. You want me to stop this? Is this, do I, do you want me to keep going? Do you want me to change my angle? Hopefully maybe stop if I might suggest. So he says, do not reach out your hand against the boy. And do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, 
since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God is outside of time. God knows exactly what Jesus is going to be doing on the cross. God knows exactly how this plan is coming to fruition. And God knows that he was never going to want Abraham to sacrifice his son as the pagan gods would have asked their their followers to do. God knows he never wanted him to go through with it. But God sees the love Abraham has for his God and that he is willing to do exactly what God is going to do for us with his son, Jesus. Verse 13, then Abraham raises his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in place of his son. Exactly the substitute, Jesus being that ram, Jesus symbolically the ram that comes in place of the son, us who are completely worthy of death and takes on that death takes on that sacrificial request that God asked for Isaac to be go through. The ram shows up and Abraham named the place. The Lord will provide as it is said to this day on the mountain that the Lord on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. I've not heard an angel from the Lord call to me at all, but Abraham knows the knows angels from the Lord as they message and said by myself, I have sworn declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed, I will greatly bless you. And I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens of the sand and as the sand, which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you obeyed my voice. This is the level of commitment God is asking from us. This is the level of love for him that God is asking the faith, the trust that God is asking from us today. And Abraham, Abraham listens to the Lord. Abraham obeys. And now we see exactly why God asked him to do this seemingly barbaric request, because that is exactly how God planned to redeem the human race. Exactly. And, you know, in the Old Testament, when it says the angel of the Lord, you know, if we were to look at um, Exodus 3 at the burning bush, um, the angel of the Lord, as he's called from the burning bush, is Jesus. And so Jesus is talking to Abraham and saying, the Lord will provide. And, you know, we look at it from... Abraham's perspective oftentimes but we we should look at it from Isaac's perspective as well and he certainly could have fought against his father likely could have overtaken him but he is willing he is submissive and just like Jesus he says if there is any other way let this cup be taken from me but let me do your will And, you know, it's really special to see actually what Abraham was thinking. Um, Paul, the Hebrew writer of Hebrews, says in chapter 11 in that beautiful faith, hall of faith, in verse 17 through 19, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and the one who he had received by the promises was offering up his only son the one of promise. And it was 
he to whom he said, through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. And he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type, as if he were dead because God had asked him to kill him. And so Abraham is thinking, I don't know how this is going to work. God has promised that he is going to provide a way for my salvation through Isaac. So I believe that he's going to raise him from the dead because he gave him to me as a miracle from the first. I believe that he's willing and able to raise him from the dead, even though there had been no previous resurrections in all of human history. Abraham says, yeah, my God can do it. I trust Abraham. Abraham's fully on board with God's promises. He's fully invested in his God. And when God asked him to do this thing, that like I've already said many times, it sounds terrible, but now we see the significance of it. Now we see why it's important. And when God asked him to do this task, we see that Abraham likely has a hope. He has, he has a desire for how uh, this is going to go, but he doesn't know. But in Hebrews, like he he thinks his he he believes in the promises of his God, and maybe a, Isaac is going to be raised up from the dead after a a, a death of some um, some kind. You know, it, hu- huge faith for sure on the part of Abraham, and you know God asking Abraham to kill Isaac. God becomes further revealed by staying Abraham's hand and saying, "Don't do this. Don't do this. I'm going to do this." doesn't necessarily say that, but that's clear. I'm going to do this. I don't want you to do this. And it's Jesus. Jesus, obviously, to now, is the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. He's the blessing from his family tree. He is the blessing, the blessing of blessings, the greatest blessing that existence will ever know, and that he is the revelation of just how good God is against all this evil, all this death all this suffering, all this sin. And God's covenant promise to Abraham, it is one of redemption, of rescue, of grace, this everlasting covenant that will always be the case. It will always be a mirror, a picture of God's promise to us, of God's love for us, of his connection to us, of his unwavering promise that he will always be God and that he's going to bring us to a point where we can be in his presence again. To bring us back into connection with him. Nick? It's, it's, it's beautiful. Um, and I just want to show this one last thing. in that everlasting covenant is an eternal covenant. It is from ages past to ages future. God loves us so much. He is willing to die for us that is the basis of the new covenant that is matthew chapter 26 when he's at the last supper he says this take this for this is the promise of the new covenant and i just want to point out again hebrews 13 chapter uh, verse 20 it says now the god of peace that brought again from the dead our lord jesus that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood 
of the everlasting covenant. So the new covenant is exactly the same as the everlasting covenant. It is the promise of love. The promise of relationship. And that's what God wants from us. He loves us. He has wants this desire of relationship with us. And it, it always seems weird to have like a relationship with God that we can't see. But he gives us the pictures of the husband and the wife. And when you see that, that love that will do anything for somebody else, says that's, that's how it looks. Because I'm going to put it in human terms for you because you can't see me. That's what it looks like. We, we enter into this covenant by belief. God counts us as righteous by belief. It's, yep. it's our belief in him. And that belief in him is also the understanding that he is love. And that he, by believing in him, by connecting with him, having a relationship with him, we return that love. We return that love through obedience, but we return that love through literal emotional love for our God. This is, this is the way that we as descendants, spiritual descendants of Abraham, become descendants of Abraham by believing in God, by believing Jesus. Those who would receive God's love and attempt to love him back. And it's, we definitely, we definitely uh, love God. We definitely see that God is in love with us. And that is all that the covenant boils down to. When you peel back the layers of the law, when you peel back the layers of how we get saved, it's, it's God doing the saving. It's God asking to come into us and, and fulfill those promises when he's within us to God, it's, it's us submitting, but yet us believing. It's the most beautiful picture of love that he can possibly show that we are inadequate, that he is more than willing to be adequate for us. If we will just say, okay, let's play. Let's, let's pray now. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for showing us this picture of your love and that you care about us and that you chose us as your people. Um, if we will just choose you. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you are faithful. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us. Uh, this has been called by love. We are we are next time uh, going to likely flush out and go into the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and the judgments of God and God's God judging uh, people as a whole. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us. This has been called by love.